It is hot. And the heat just it makes me so sleepy. <laughs> so let's have a drink and see where this whole thing goes. Anyone else up for a nap with me in like 60? If I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is June 13th, and I have a great show for you this week. At the top of the show in The Devil's Advocate, Dog sent this one in. I didn't ask if it was okay to say that. <laughs> You're in the chat room, so. Um, the topic is great. I've touched on parts of it, but there's some stuff that I want to get out, stuff that I want to talk about. Are Satanists elite professionally? It's an interesting conversation we're going to have. Infernal informant Israel to swear in government, ending Netanyahu's long rule. And uh, truth embargo, UFOs are suddenly all the talk in Washington. We're going to close it out with a bit of a creature feature alone. We're going to talk about that because it's good. <laughs> Buttons undone. Not all the way, though. I still got a couple up there. It's hot, though. I was going to wear a wife beater under the... Or an undershirt or whatever the fuck you want to call it. A wife beater under this, but if I'm being honest, it's too hot for that. It's just too hot. I got a fan going, I have an AC going, and it's still too hot. So we're just going to make do with a button undone. Because <laughs> I've got to. I've got to. I've got three chest hair, Mike. Three of them. I had four. I went to a barbecue over at Joe's house, and he took one of them. The bastard. Just, like, plucked it right out. The nerve of some people. All right. Um, it's out. It's here. We're going to talk about this. We're going to read this. And for those of you who want to join in on the uh, book club that I'm going to be doing for this, here are the deets. Here's the details. You need to have a copy of the book and you've got to do the reading. That is the first requirement. If you don't have the book, you don't come to the book club meeting. I'm going to ask everyone at the book club questions about this. Not like an interview, not a study, not a quiz. But the point is to do the reading and then talk about it. If you don't do the reading and you don't talk about it, there's no reason for you to be there. This is not a performance piece where you just sit back and watch. All right? So buy the book, do the reading. If you've done both of those, then next Sunday at 2 p.m. Mountain Time, I'm going to get on Google Meet. And if you've also shot me an email and let me know that you want to join, then you will have an invite to that Google Meet meeting. And we will rap about the reading. Okay, so the assignment, it's an easy one to start us off just to see how everyone, you know, how, how quickly everyone can read. We're only going to do the very beginning of the book up to and through chapter one. Stop before you hit chapter two, just so you get, and it's not a lot. It's not a lot to read, okay? It's like 30 pages, I think. If you can't do 30 pages in a week, 
you probably shouldn't do a book club. Uh, it's like 29 pages. So 29 pages through chapter one, including all of the introduction acknowledgements and all that stuff. We're going to talk about it all. It's going to be a great conversation. Shoot me an email at info at reverendcampbell.com if you want to join. And the email you send it to me is the one I'm going to add in to the uh, calendar so that you can get the contact information for the Google meeting. Got it? Very simple. Read through chapter one, shoot me an email, and you're in. I've got only a couple people in so far, so I'm actually kind of surprised. So uh, if you want in, let me know. More the merrier, if I'm being 100% honest. honest. If there's like 100 people, that would be amazing. I know I won't have anywhere near that. If I get 10 people, I'll be surprised. But it'll be 10 people that want to actually read and want to actually talk about it, which is much more important. Quality. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Uh, also, tomorrow, I'm doing a Satanist on Cinema with my friend Cameron. It's going to be a great one. We're going to talk about The Conjuring Part 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, I've seen some Satanists banter about this a little bit back and forth. It's just a film. <laughs> it's just a horror film. Like it or don't, but it's not making a statement. It's just contained in its little box of a world, and that's it. So we're going to talk about it. It's going to be a spoiler one, so if you haven't seen the film and you don't want to be spoiled on it, I mean, it's been out long enough, you should be able to see it. But uh, don't tune in if you don't want spoilers. And then... Just so those of you know, I just started reading The Great Gatsby last week. It's only it's a very short book, so it's not going to be many episodes. But if you want to jump in on those, I'm trying to do them like once a week. I'm not even really sure of the day as of yet. I think I did it on Thursday this last week. So I'll probably try Thursday again uh, to do the second part of it. It's probably only going to be three parts. So uh, if you want to hear The Great Gatsby read by this guy... Well, you got an invitation. <laughs> Straight from the horse's ass's mouth. <laughs> um, and then uh, I just did a On the Rocks with uh, Satan, or, uh, Warlock Vanderpool. So check that out. It was a lot of fun. It was raw. We were not holding back at all. It's, that's how we talk when we get together. So it was not for performance. So if you uh, are easily offended or you don't like bad language, maybe sit them out. But if you don't mind a little bit of banter, a little bit of fun, you know, sort of jocular back and forth, check it out on the rocks. Uh, I think we did it on Friday. That's all I got for the pre-show. Valeria, thanks for joining live. Great to see you. Mike, how you doing? Gary, what's up? Dog, of course. How you doing, hun? Mike, um, Mike number two, <laughs> the second Mike that's in the uh, chat room. How you doing? William, what's up? Thanks for joining live, man. Uh, Jason, how are you? Fareeth. What is happening? Uh, James, thanks for joining live. Appreciate you. Lady Marie, great to see you. Great to see you in nine cents. Let's see anyone else. Dallas, good to see you. You going uh, to join the book club, Dallas? I hope you do. If you have some time. Jeff, how you doing? Lazarus, what's up? Jeff, you should be getting in the book club too. <laughs> Just calling you out. <laughs> It'll be fun. Robert, what's up? Thanks for joining live. Saros Labas. How you doing? Thanks for joining live. Okay. And anyone else after the fact, we'll get to it. If you have any questions or comments throughout the course of this conversation, put them up there. Zachary, you made it. Woo -woo. Um, put them up there and we'll, we'll banter a little bit back and forth. This is meant to uh, be a little bit of fun, but also hopefully you learn something or at least you learn to hate something that I'm going to say. <laughs> One of those things will happen. So let's do a little devil's advocate.
So this is a uh, email that I received and uh, it's actually a really well written and thought out email. It was much better than I've ever done an email. Um, asking questions and formulating ideas. And I distilled some of that into talking points ostensibly. And so I wanna go over some of this. Um, and like I mentioned, some of it I've gone over in the past, but there's some interesting perspectives, angles, approach that was taken in this email that I'm not sure I, I approached. Uh, in the last times that I've been talking about this. So I thought it was apropos to bring it up again. Satanism celebrates real world achievement. That's something that we all understand and know. Like that is just that, that the whole sole purpose of the religion is to empower the individual so that they can then realize success in their life. Now, what that success takes the form of in, is entirely dependent on the individual Satanist, right? So success for one Satanist may be professional and another may be personal. But as we go through our lives and we are chanting these mantras of Satanism, uh, uh, Satanists are the highest embodiment of human life. Uh, we are the alien elite. Eventually, you've got to pay that off. You've got to back up what you're claiming. So if you're going to say you're a Satanist and you're going to say that you are elite or you are the highest embodiment of human life and you've never accomplished anything in life, well then, how much of a Satanist can you possibly be? Okay, so put a pin in that. How does a Satanist rate achievement? And I think this is a really important point of a conversation because... Personally, I have my own measurement of what achievement is, of what success is. And it's not always exclusive to my professional life. Sometimes it's just having a happy and healthy family life because I didn't grow up in that happy and healthy of a family life. And so for me, being able to cultivate that type of a connection with my family is really important. And that is a massive success for me. For some people, it may be turning around from growing up in an abusive home to then uh, working through and finding positive ways of coping and managing the trauma that it experienced in life. And so uh, my purpose of bringing this up is to let everyone understand that there is no one level of measurement, right? Everyone has a different yardstick. Everyone is going to be measuring it in their own unique ways. And that is distinctly satanic because ultimately... There's no guiding authority saying that that is successful and that is not. It is ultimately, as with everything in Satanism, up to you, the Satanist, to decide that. Now, of course, there's some guidelines that you can use. Like, for example, simply just being a positive role model for your kids. Some people may see that as being successful and others may see that as being, yeah, you're just doing the job of being a parent. You chose to have kids Hence, you should be a positive role model for those kids. So sometimes you need a little bit of, you know, step outside of your own life experience in order to really quantify 
what success means for you. Because if we're being 100% honest, and I hope that we are, if we're seeing grown adults, um, you know, living with their parents, uh, without work, um, struggling to pay bills, well, it's a hard, it's a hard choice to call yourself a elite Satanist, right? Like that, that should never enter the frame of a conversation. If that is your state of existing, how can you be an empowered individual if you're not only dependent on others, but incapable of standing on your own in the first place? Now, I know some people are going to fall back on this uh, argument of, well, you know, I, I have biological issues, I have physiological issues, I have mental issues, I have A, B, and C issues. Well, I don't care. Like, if we're being, again, honest, life isn't fair. Why should your situation change my definition of what success is? Or why should we measure elitism off of what is clearly not as the starting or middle or high point. If, if you're going to claim elite nomenclature, then you should be able to stand up and plant that flag and prove that you are elite. Not simply say, well, I'm getting there. Okay. Uh, another way you judge success, and I think a very healthy way, is to take it out of your own hands in some cases and judge it against your industry. That is the perfect rubber to the road test of whether or not you are actually successful and the alien elite. How are other people in your industry who have been doing it as long as you have, who have, uh, you know, are on par with your ability, how are they performing in that same field? And if you don't measure up, well, then you're not elite. You're not successful. They are. Now, all of this is compounded with the fact that not only are you judging success internally and externally, but you're judging it against non-Satanists. So how are you going to square that in your head, right? Even if you claim that Satanists are the highest embodiment of human life, and even if you are more successful than those of your peers, you're judging yourself against non-Satanists who are clearly not up to your standard in the first place, so you should be outshining them. So then, how do you get an honest account of judging your highest embodiment of human life success versus someone else's highest embodiment of human life success? And if you can't even measure up to someone from air quotes the herd, because I don't, I don't particularly like that, that frame of reference. Um, I just know too many regular people that are just stellar human beings um, to, you know, demeaningly refer to them as a herd. Uh, if you're using them as your measuring stick, well, then wouldn't they be the highest embodiment of human life if they're more successful than you and you not? So these are just different ways of measuring your own personal success how you're measuring them from within and without, and whether it's on an equal playing field, whether you're measuring it against others in your industry and whether or not they're Satanists. Because again, we throw around this, we have our own satanic vernacular that we use, that we expect other people to understand when we're speaking it, 
But in order to understand it, we have to be able to pay off what we're claiming. And if we don't, then the words mean nothing. If you're judging your success in the industry that you are judging against non-Satanists, then how can you be elite if your baseline is the herd's success over you? Uh, when you're trying to measure up to non-Satanists, then you're not elite. Some prefer to not rate themselves against the industry, but rather against exclusively other Satanists. Is that healthy? Is that appropriate? Well, one, you're probably not going to land a whole bunch of other Satanists in your same industry to measure yourself up against, because again, you're probably not going to know other Satanists. And let's all be quite frank with each other. We are a minority. You may have hundreds of thousands of individuals in your field at your skill level, and you may be the only Satanist, right? So if you just exclude all of the herd as a part of your measuring stick in order to measure your uh, success from an exterior source, it does two things. Not only does it cultivate an ecosystem that is unhealthy because it's just a satanic ecosystem, or you can even refer to it as a satanic community, you're gathering and supporting like-minded people exclusively that's a community. So that's antithetical to the religion that you claim to be a part of. But it also pads and protects you from having actually to achieve in your industry. It actually lowers the barrier in order to define success. Because again, we're a minority. There's fewer of us. And if you're only grouping together online and using that as your baseline for, well, I'm more successful than that person over there, even though you're in different industries and the measuring stick's all thrown off, you're not actually doing anything but lowering the bar, not raising it. You're actually making yourself less elite by remaining in that satanic ecosystem that you've created. Um, <clears throat> it also pads and protects you from having to actually achieve in your industry. If you're only measuring against other Satanists and there's no other Satanists that you know about in your industry, well, then you can just sit and be comfy. And just rest on your laurels. You don't have to work. You don't have to put in the effort. It doesn't mean you're elite. It just means you're lazy. Okay. So, if your measure of success is a tip of the cap from other Satanists or the Church of Satan's administration, then you have failed to live up to the expectations of being a Satanist. I'm going to say that again because I want it to sink into everyone. If your measurement of success is the tip of a cat from other Satanists, cap, not cat, or the administration of the Church of Satan, if that is your measurement, well, then you've already failed. Not only should it be simply from within, but in order to have actual judgment, a, 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 a fair representation of what your success truly means, it has to be from the industry that you're in, measuring your success by, not the satanic ecosystem or the organization, the Church of Satan, or anyone therein. That should not mean anything to you. It should feel good because any sort of tip of the cap should feel good. But that's not the, 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 the Littman's test that you should be going by. 
It's important that you understand that because there are too many Satanists out there who are achieving nothing, who are doing nothing. And yet, if their post in social media gets a certain number of likes or the right people commenting or liking it, well, then they feel like they've achieved something. And the truth is, is they've achieved nothing. They're actually going backward because they're, they're acting as if that alone is some sort of measurement of success. They're lowering the bar for every other Satanist out there because from the outside in, we look like a bunch of sycophantic gladhanders rather than actual alien elite. Okay. What do you guys have to say about this before I go on? <laughs> Lazarus says worldly success is so important. Living a quiet, stress-free life is your idea of accomplishment. Satanism has helped you achieve that. Well, that's awesome. Good on you. Uh, thank you. You need to listen. Many Satanists come from diverse backgrounds. Yours as well. If you need to talk, ask you. I'm not sure who you're talking to there. Yes, me. Childhood was absolutely abusive in many ways. Your goals as an adult would not to be your parents. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Life's not fair, but it should be. What? Do you mean to say shouldn't? Uh, yeah. <laughs> As Satanists, uh, we inherently admit a kind of magnetism. Uh, who that person is uh, will define how they use said energy, and their success should be measured against their nature. Interesting. Okay. I believe success is measured by how much you have been able to accomplish individually, i.e., did you study hard? Did you work hard? Did you get your college degree? Legit. Or did someone bribe the teachers? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I think you're right there. Uh, Mr. Silent. Thanks for joining live. Uh, you feel there's a difference in the way people measure success. It could be on a worldly scale. Everyone's on the same scale. A monetary scale or an existential scale. I think that's those are fair statements. Um, and that's why I brought up, you know, everyone has their own measurement of success. And they should have their own measurement. You should not try to live up to someone else's expectation. This diatribe that I just finished should not be your, you know, put it on a wall uh, a statement that you try to live up to. That's something that you should define for yourself. If it's in line with what I think, well, okay, that's fine. And if it's not, that's fine too. But it should be something that you think about and that you act toward. Uh, are you truly successful if you feel you need to compare your accomplishment to others? Well, that's interesting too, because as long, I would, I would argue, as long as you're actively working on improving yourself and you are seeing your own improvement and you're seeing motion, not stagnation, then no, I don't think you should have to measure it up against anyone else. But the easiest way to measure your success is against those in your industry. That is the easiest way to do it. Because again, we can have skewed perspectives. Not everyone is going to be able to step outside of themselves or really dig into their own individual motivations. That takes time for some people. And so if you can't do that yourself, you can always fall back on industries. Uh, you feel extremely successful. Recently received a promotion at work. That's awesome. A large raise. That's great. You have a beautiful home. Hells yes. You have peace of mind in life. You're happy to you. That's successful. I think that's to me. That's to everyone. I think that's a great measurement of success, Lady Marie. Uh, Marcy, thanks for joining live on. You only compete with yourself doing what you need to do for yourself to get what you need and want. That's totally fair. Um, let's see. 
She fucking loves the voice. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, it's meant to just be the simplest elitist version of genetically measured. Ooh, what are you guys talking about? Most objectively successful people you've spent time with do not consider themselves successful. They generally consider their activities a work in progress. That is really important. And that's a really great point, Jeff. Thank you so much for making that. Um, I, and I would totally agree with that. Most successful people that I've ever met, they consider themselves chasing it. They're chasing their success. They're, it's a constant, a constant inertia moving forward. It is not something where they're like, well, I'm here. Woo, that was rough. Let's have a break. You know, it's never like that. They would never stop and say, I've done a good job. <sighs> you know, it, it just doesn't happen. So if you ever find someone boasting about their success, it should be just in the moment. Like, this is something that I have achieved. This is a goal that I have achieved. Well, that in the moment is success, but that is not the end all. It is this continuous evolution of effort. Um, all right. You understand if you see something and envy it and want that, then you will be successful when you get what you worked for. Okay. So. Some of my successes that I consider successes are measured both from without and within, right? And this is not to be compared with any of you out there. Everyone's going to have their individual versions of this. But for me, you know, I, I started a brand new fandom channel a couple months ago that just blew up. And all of the effort and all of the hours and all the work I put into it immediately paid off. And that was a really great way of me feeling good about doing, putting so much time and effort into something that had nothing to do with Satanism and seeing, reaping the rewards from that. I thought that was really fantastic. Um, another success of mine is, you know, the children's book that I recently illustrated and produced for this mother and daughter team. I thought it was, um, it was an okay story for the age that it was pointed toward, but I put in the work and just knocked it out as quickly as I could to be as inexpensive as possible for this, uh, you know, duo of writer and artist group. And, Ended up pretty happy with the result. Um, in my professional career, we, in the last recession in 08, we were one of the only small advertising agencies that stayed together and did not have to let people go. That was huge. And in this last pandemic, we watched other agencies of similar size fall apart and we still stayed together. And it's because of the relationships that we've garnered, the work that we produce, and the effort that the entire team puts into making sure that we can continue moving forward. So those are successes as I see it uh, in my own life. So it's not something that I'm trying to just say, everyone should just fight for their own successes. No, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you examples of, of you know things that I've gone through and, and experiences that I've had that qualify in my mind, myself as a Satanist, as a successful Satanist. Um, there were some questions that were asked uh, at the end of this email that I thought were really great that I wanted to cover as well. So um, consider some of these before we uh, finish this segment out. Are we at risk of losing our ability to objectively be the elite that we seek to be? If the world at large does not know the successes that we have achieved as Satanists, and if other Satanists do not see the successes that those of us in the know should know about, 
if those successes aren't made, how can we justifiably call ourselves elite? And I think it's a fair question. Um, it's one we have to take into account here is that there's a lot of Satanists. There's more Satanists that are not out than are out. So if you go on any social media platform and you see hundreds of people, you know, flying by the seat of their pants, calling themselves Satanists, you know, a fraction of those are actual living Satanists, you know, applying the philosophy positively in their lives. Um, that's a very small section of actual Satanists moving in the real world, in their industries. And so there's no way, simply by the way this religion was set up from the beginning and the way it's uh, organized, which I think is the only way it should be organized, there's no way to truly know whether or not other Satanists have achieved anything of note or of worth, or if those individuals in, in quote air quotes, the herd, the successes that they're having, whether or not they're actually Satanists or not. There's no way of knowing that. And so you have to divorce yourself of the idea that in order to claim the status of elite, we have to be able to see it because that's just not the way this religion works. You will never see everyone's success. Those who have seen success probably aren't going to be talking about it on social media. So you'll never hear it if that's where you're living. If you want to see success in the real world, you've got to meet other Satanists and then befriend them and have them be comfortable enough sharing their life with you. That's the only way that you'll ever know. Now, that is not something that you should choose to do with that intent in mind. In my opinion, the only reason why you should ever hobnob with anyone else is if you're going to get something out of it, or if you just genuinely love those people. And that's it. And then you do actually get something out of it. So, you know, uh, it shouldn't just be knowledge of knowing what they're doing. Uh, two, uh, how is this dichotomy affecting the next generation of Satanists? I think this is an interesting point to think about. Because this, this current state of Satanism online has created, again, this satanic ecosystem that new generations of Satanists think has always been, was always, and forever will be. And that's just not the way it works. Again, the satanic ecosystem in social media is not reality. Most of those successes that you see people bloviating about are not actual successes. They're bloviating their worth in order to look good online, in order to feel good and important online, in order to get those likes. The entire platforms that social media exist in are generated for that mentality. And so... You just fall into it. You don't even have a choice. It's just the way that it works if you engage in those, uh, those platforms. Uh, and so I think it is dangerous to future generations of Satanists because you have to rely on books and reading and yourself. Three, <laughs> not two. That's all that matters in this religion. Not other people, not other Satanists. And arguably, not even the organization should matter that much to you. You should celebrate it. You should appreciate that it's there doing what it's doing because it is invaluable. But that's not where your effort should be, unless you're an active member. Your effort should be on you as a Satanist. First and foremost, always not other people. And as long as that message persists online or in books, then 
I think the future generations of Satanists are going to be just fine. But if we fall into those traps of social media and thinking that that ecosystem that you've garnered, that community that you've garnered online, if you start thinking that every Satanist should support every other Satanist, that is the definition of a community, then you have fallen out of what it means to actually be a Satanist and stand on your own two feet. No communities. Just you. Period. Does the fact that we rarely know when someone who does something spectacular in their field, if they're a Satanist or not, affect any of this? No. I don't think it does. Because, again, we just won't know if they're a Satanist or not. And it's none of our fucking business. Like, that's really what we should be considering. Is Do we have a right to know? And the answer to that is no. We don't have a right. We don't have a right to anyone else's privacy, to anyone else's successes, to anyone else's knowledge or life experience. If they choose to share it, well, then okay, that's on them. But we do not have a right to know it. The only thing we have a right to do is use lesser magic to move forward productively in our own lives, and that's it. That is our right. Should the COS and us as members be making more of an effort to tout the non-COS-related successes of members? No, I don't think so. I know that it does create a system of these types of questions to arise. It does create that idea that, you know, if, if all you're doing is looking at the COS newsfeed and using that as the measurement of this is what Satanists are doing, this, you know, the successes of the religion, well, then you're going to think, you know, half of it is podcasts. Everyone and their mom has a podcast. So that's not, that's not significant at all. That is basic. That's as basic as you could possibly get nowadays. So don't use that as your measurement to tool, right? That's just sharing worthwhile projects that's it. And that's only from people who are willing to talk about them. So we should never use that as a reference for successes for other Satanists, and certainly not as the COS, because the COS's only measurement of success is its effective dissemination of the religion and the fighting of that in media. That's, and to that end, it's very successful. Okay, so... Uh, what are you guys talking about now? Let's see. In a community of lesser thans, you tread lightly in public as an elitist. Oh, nice, Jason. I like that. Um, Dallas was talking with his friend last night about this. He always feels like you can do better uh, in spite of doing a lot within just five years. Yeah, and that's the curse of someone <laughs> with drive, man. <laughs> that's just how it is. You're never going to be satisfied. You're going to have moments and enjoy those moments in them. But um, let's see. There's also an element to success that's not been touched on. Not everyone wants to achieve the same things. If you value industrial achievements, you're not successful to the ecologically minded. And again, and that's why I mentioned that everyone's measurement's different. Uh, it's important to understand that. There's a power in secret. Not being immediately known for a legitimate real-world influence does not make you unsuccessful. It makes you the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a really great series of essays that the doctors touched on um, in a number of different ways to that end. Um, just walk in your library and seeing the logo you created that they bought from you makes you smile to yourself. That's fantastic, man. 
That was awesome. Um, let's see. Anything else? Support Satanism, not Satanists. Tend to only support people if you like them. Interesting. All right. It's okay to participate in these media communities. You're creating one of yourself. Should I limit your time on these sites? Totally up to you, Allie. Totally up to you. If you get something out of it, then it can't be all bad, right? Um, if you find yourself putting energy into something that just brings you bitterness and sorrow, well, then you need a change. You need to make a change. But until then, enjoy it for what it is. And that's going to do it for this um, Devil's Advocate. Let's do a little Infernal Report. That went a lot longer than I expected. Israel to swear in government, ending Netanyahu's long rule. And I just looked in the news and it happened. And so uh, this is all correct. <laughs> this is from Polico.com. Israel is set to swear in, just swore in the new government on Sunday that sent Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu into the opposition after a record 12 years in office and a political crisis that sparked four elections in two years. Naftali Bennett, the head of the small ultranationalist party, will take over as prime minister, but if he wants to keep the job, he'll have to maintain an unwieldy coalition of parties from the political right, left, and center. The eight parties, including a small Arab faction that is making history by sitting in the ruling coalition, are united in their opposition to Netanyahu and new elections but agree on little else. They're likely to pursue a modest agenda that seeks to re uh, reduce tensions with the Palestinians and maintain good relations with the U.S. without launching any major initiatives. Netanyahu, is on, who is on trial for corruption, remains the head of the largest party in parliament and is expected to vigorously oppose the new government. If just one faction bolts, it could lose its majority and would be at risk of collapse, giving him an opportunity to return to power. The new government is promising a return to normalcy after a tumultuous two years that saw four elections, an 11-day Gaza war last month, and a coronavirus outbreak that devastated the economy before it was largely brought under control by a successful vaccination campaign. The driving force behind the coalition is Yair Lapid, a political centrist who will become prime minister in two years, if the government lasts that long. Israel's parliament, known as the Neset, will convene to vote on the new government at 4 p.m., which has already happened. It's expected to win by a narrow majority of at least 61. It won by one vote in the 120-member assembly, after which it, was, it will be sworn in. The government plans to hold its first official meeting later this evening. It is unclear if Netanyahu will attend the ceremony or when he will move out of the official residence. He is lashed out at the new government in apocalyptic terms and accused Bennett of defrauding voters by running a right-wing stalwart and then pandering with the left. Welcome to politics, dude. <laughs> Netanyahu supporters have held angry protests outside the homes of rival lawmakers who said that they have received death threats naming their families. Israel's Shin Bet Internal Security Service issued a rare public warning about the incitement earlier this month saying it could lead to violence. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? 
Netanyahu has condemned the incitement, while noting that he's also been a target. His place in Israeli history is secure, having served as prime minister for a total of 15 years, more than any other, including the country's founder, David Ben-Gurion. Netanyahu began his long rule by defying the Obama administration, refusing to freeze settlement construction as it tries unsuccessfully to revive a peace process. Rel um, relations with Israel's closest ally grew even rockier when Netanyahu vigorously campaigned against President Barack Obama's emerging nuclear deal with Iran, even denouncing it in an address to the U.S. Congress. Do you guys remember that? A foreign leader, arguably dictator, came to our congressional floor and spoke to our senators and representatives, telling us how to vote, talking, speaking against our duly elected president. And what did the Republicans do? They glad-handed him, patted him on the back, hugged him, and sucked him off in the corner. That is our Republican Party, kowtowing to other dictators, like Netanyahu, and yeah, I do think he was a dictator, and even to fucking Russia <laughs> in the last goddamn administration. He goes over to see Putin, and he just tucks his tail between his legs and pouts. That's your dear leader, fucking Republicans. But he suffered few, if any, consequences from those clashes and was recently rewarded by the Trump administration, which recognized contested Jerusalem as Israel's capital, helped broker normalization agreements with four Arab states and withdrew the U.S. from the Iran deal. Way to destabilize the Middle East even more, Republicans. Netanyahu has portrayed himself as a world-class statement, boasting of his close ties with Trump and Russia President Vladimir Putin. He has also cultivated ties with Arab and African countries that long shunned Israel over its policies toward the Palestinians. But he's gotten a fair chillier reception from the Biden administration and is widely seen as having undermined the long tradition of bipartisan support for Israel in the United States. His reputation as a political magician has also faded at home, where he has become a deeply polarized figure. Critics say he has long pursued a divide-and-conquer strategy that aggravated rifts in Israeli society between Jews and Arabs and between his close ultra-Orthodox allies and secular Jews. In November 2019, he was indicted for fraud, breach of trust, and accepting bribes. He refused calls to step down, instead lashing out at the media, judiciary, and law enforcement, going so far as to accuse his political opponents of orchestrating an attempted coup. Last year, protesters began holding weekly rallies across the country, calling on him to resign. Netanyahu remains popular among the hardline nationalists who dominate Israeli politics, but he could soon face a leadership challenge from within his own party. A less polarizing Likud leader would stand a good chance of assembling a coalition that is both farther to the right and more stable than the government that is set to be sworn in. I would agree that any... Any political group that is as far from religious influence as possible is a better option in every case. Always. Anytime you get religion into it, you bring in Bronze Age ideas that are mired in fables, not reality. And you cannot govern a world off of fairy tales. You can't. So... Goodbye, Netanyahu. I have a bad feeling that we're going to be seeing you soon because, let's be honest, anytime you have very different parties forming a coalition just to oust one person, they quickly fall into disarray.
I mean, just look at our own government. I mean, all of the center, left, and liberal, and even some Republicans who voted for Biden are now fracturing. Probably handing the Republicans the next election. It's, it's a tough situation to be in because, one, anytime a terrorist group is attacking your nation, you want to strike back. So, of course, you're going to strike back. But then you're striking back against disenfranchised citizens as well. And so you're just seen as the bad guy. And when you are illegally creating um, um, uh, uh, settlements in territory that is not supposed to have any settlements, and you're just claiming the right to do it because you're Israeli, well, you're in the fucking wrong. Not because you're a Jew, but because you're a nationalist asshole who is breaking the law. So, has nothing to do with religion, everything to do with politics, and we need to divorce the entire world from those two connecting. It is so toxic, it is the sole reason why we have so much problems in this world, even here at home in the U.S., um, and arguably wherever you live on this globe. Because it is the one thing that will forever... In politics, you can compromise. Unless you have fanatics. Fanatics are born out of religion. Politics can turn into religious movements. And we've seen that with cult-like behavior recently. But that is not the start and end of it. So... We have to get religion out of it, divorce Israel from their Jewish religion, and it will be in an infinitely better place. And the majority of people who voted in their latest election agree with that because they got this guy out. Right. The problem with Israel is that no matter what or how they do anything, our government will never outright condemn or oppose them. The reasons for that are far too numerous to talk about on here. You're right, Jeff, they won't. And most of the reasons are because of the Bible. Like, that's where it begins and ends for the majority of people. It has nothing else to do with anything. As long as you're a Christian, as long as you are an Abrahamic religion, other Abraham, unless you're a fucking uh, Arab, uh, other Abrahamic religions will have your back. It's, a, it's a, the tribal nature of man. That is just how we operate. It's base, it's lizard brain shit, but, you know, for people who don't think, it's the best and easiest way to make a choice. You're pissed that we have so many issues here, and yet we have to spend millions on our hard-earned tax dollars to Israel. Yeah, I agree. We, we, we put so much support into an institution that doesn't need any of it. Doesn't need any of it. They just, that whole nation thrives off being portrayed as the, 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 the underdog, the picked on, the victim. Meanwhile, they're a major world power! And we're sending so much money to them! Ugh, kills me. Kills me. Um, and the thing is, is like, I'm not against the nation for being a strong, independent nation. No, do your thing. I don't care. Do your thing. But you don't need my money. <laughs> you don't need this country's money to do it. You don't need our support, and you don't need to stand on our house of fucking law and tell us what to fucking do. You're a foreign dictator. Were, because they just kicked your ass out. Now, if there is any justice in Israel, you're going to be behind bars. Good riddance. Fuck that dude. All right. Not that I have a 
opinion on the matter. And just because I don't like him does not mean I support Hamas and does not mean I support Palestinians. You should be able to separate those ideas. Not everyone can, I know, but here's a fun image. <laughs> Truth embargo. UFOs are suddenly all the talk in Washington. It's hot in here. My gosh. Uh, this is from NBC. Uh, yeah, NBC News. I got to get my glasses out. Sorry, guys. This age. Stephen Bassett and Mick West don't agree on much. Bassett has devoted much of his adult life to proving UFOs are helmed by aliens, and West has devoted much of his to proving that they are not. But they both agree on one thing. It's good that after nearly 75 years of taboo and ridicule going back to Roswell, New Mexico, serious people are finally taking seriously about the identified flying objects people see in the skies. If you look at the level of public interest, then I think it becomes more important to actually look into these things, said West, a former video game programmer turned UFO debunker. Right now, there's a lot of suspicion that the government is hiding evidence of UFOs, which is quite understandable because there's this wall of secrecy. It leads to suspicion and distrust of the government, which, as we've seen, can be quite dangerous. There's a, a note here, too, because every president that has gone into office saying that they're going to reveal the truth say, once they get out, that they couldn't get access to the information. The most powerful people in the world, in their own government, cannot get to the information. So what are we as the public supposed to think? Like... Take off your tinfoil hats and just think rationally. It leads itself to suspicion. If you won't even tell the world leaders what you know or don't know, then of course we're going to think you're hiding something. Because you are! You may be hiding useless information, but you're still hiding it. So of course we're not going to trust you. All right. Later this month, the Pentagon is expected to deliver a report to Congress from a task force it established last year to collect information about what officials now call unexplained aerial phenomena, or UAPs, from across the government after pilots came forward with captivating videos that appear to show objects moving in ways that defy known laws of physics. While those who dabble in the unknowns of outer space are hoping for alien evidence, many others in government hope to report I hope the report will settle whether these objects might be spy operations from neighbors on Earth, like the Chinese or Russians. The highly anticipated report is expected to settle little, finding no evidence of extraterrestrial activity while not ruling it out either, according to officials, but it will jumpstart a long-suppressed conversation and open new possibilities of research and discovery and perhaps defense contracts. Here's a cue. That last little phrase defense contracts is the reason they're actually doing it. If you step back and look at the large context of how we've learned stuff about the larger nature of reality, some of it does come from studying things that might seem ridiculous or unbelievable, Caleb Scharf, an astronomer who runs the Astrobiology Center at Columbia University, says. Suddenly, senators and scientists, the Pentagon and presidents, former CIA directors and NASA officials, Wall Street executives and Silicon Valley investors are starting to talk openly about an issue that was previously only discussed in whispers, if at all. What is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are, former President Barack Obama told late-night TV host James Corden. The Omerta has been broken thanks to 
uh, the new generation of more professional activists with more compelling evidence. A few key allies in government and the lack of compelling national security just justification for maintaining the official silence, which has failed to tamp down interest in UFOs. In a deeply polarizing country where conspiracy theories have ripped apart American politics, belief in a UFO cover-up seems relatively quaint and apolitical. Both the skeptics and the believers don't expect the Pentagon report to settle anything. Instead, they'll hope it will start something new. And I think that's the bottom line of all of this, is that when we, when we take seriously the thought that we do not understand the nature of our reality, because we don't, we accept parts of it, but what doesn't fit inside of our little boxes, we just tend to ignore and don't even uh, deal with on a large scale. Um, when we accept that we don't understand reality, then we have to open ourselves up to possibility. And that can be scary, but it's a wonderful place to be if you are have that adventure spirit in you, you know? If that, if that sense of wonder, that childlike wonder, that magic uh, is still in you, then it's a great place to be. However, no matter what this government organization comes up with, whether it pulls back a curtain and says, look, here is an alien corpse, or if it comes back saying, well, we don't really know, they don't really have any actual information, no one's gonna believe any of it. It's been mired so long in mystery and secrecy and half-truths and bald-faced lies that there's no way anyone's going to believe anything that they say at this point. The government says at this point. And even the government won't believe it because, again, there's levels of information that are being disseminated within our own government. It's very X-Files. And as someone who grew up with the X-Files, I have a hard time believing any of it. Like, I want to believe. I would love the idea that there are aliens that visit us, but I just can't believe it because I haven't seen any proof. But I love the idea of it. And I want, I want it to be real because I want there to be this understanding that we are not the pinnacle of, human ex of existence in the galaxy, in the universe that we understand. That there are other intelligences that may be out there, and maybe that would change the entire dichotomy of how we humans look at each other. Because the only way that we can move forward as a species, if we is is I'm jumping ahead here, is if we actually work together. That doesn't mean kumbaya, that doesn't mean we have to be hand in hand and hold each other and hug each other and love each other. That just means we have to accept differences and move on in positive ways to, one, roll back climate change, maybe find ways of existing on this planet without destroying it, and then positively moving forward with technology. Just because we have done things the way we have doesn't mean that we've done them the right way. We have to look at the ways our societies are structured, socio-political systems, interpersonal relations, and question them. We may not change. We may find that we are right all along. But if we don't question whether or not we're doing it the best way we possibly can, then we'll never improve. And we have to understand that we can improve because this is the only rock that we can exist on as we understand it right now. And it's the only place in the entire fucking universe that we can live. We have to find a way. Do not continue killing each other because we disagree. That's childish. 
And if for no other reason, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of sexual fetishes with aliens. I'm just saying that if you've lived in a technology to be able to travel space, you're going to be freaky. You're going to be able to teach us some interesting things. All I'm saying, it might be fun. Right, as silly as it may sound, keeping info secret from POTUS is a smart play. No, you're right. You're right. There is a, and <laughs> I, I bring it up dismissively when I say that, you know, not even the, the most powerful person in the world can, can find it out. Well, they cycle every four years. So, you know, you, you may get an asshole in <laughs> office as president who can't handle the truth <laughs> and then spills the beans. So you, sometimes it's important not to share all that information. I get it from us. Uh, informational security, that was my job when I was in the military, so I understand it. Um, but again, it breeds distrust in the government, and so there's no way around it. There's no way around it. Um, even the president is just a temp. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Werner von Braun warned us that they would move from terrorism to aliens in order to keep money flowing in the military industrial complex yeah look if if there is a greater threat out there than an immediate war that we're fighting right now industry military industrial complex must grow i don't think it should we were warned against it by presidents in the past and it's the sole reason that is perpetuating most of the wars that we're engaging in but they must grow because they have massive interest in the government and they are scratching each other's backs. They're paying tons of money to uh, people in power in order to make sure that they get contracts and that wars are keeping going to keep the money flowing. And that's why I say sometimes we've got to question the reality of the way that we've acted, not just as a sociopolitical government, but our entire structure of a society. I don't think... I enjoy capitalism in its purest form, in the written definition, but crony capitalism, the way it works, is just a failure. It creates polarization like that we're seeing today, where you have 1% of uh, the wealthiest people in the world who own more than literally everyone else under them. I mean, that is just insane. That's, that's not you pulled yourself up through your bootstraps and, or by your bootstraps and became successful. That means... You gamed the system to become successful. And you may argue that that is valid, and I couldn't totally disagree with that argument, but it creates tension in a greater society, and that breeds the fall of a government. So, you know, we got to question everything. As Satanists, it's healthy, it's important. Simply because you question it doesn't mean you always agree with those possibilities that you're uh, bringing up as alternatives but it's something that you have to explore it's important uh, all right i'm already an hour god damn i'm going too long sorry let's do a little creature feature but i want to believe i want to believe <laughs> Scott.
All right, let's see. Talking about going to primitive nature alone. I spoke about this with uh, Wes on Friday a little bit. This is a, a TV series on History Channel. It is the first seven seasons are available on Hulu. The first six are available now. The seventh will be available soon. And the seventh season is available on Netflix. Or if you're subscribed to cable, you're one of those weird people that still has cable, then you can probably just watch it on, on History Channel. Uh, and this is the, the description that the History Channel gives. Uh, their hit survival series alone is back like never before and taking place in the most dangerous location yet. In season eight, 10 contestants fight to survive in the Canadian wilderness on the shores of Chilco Lake, British Columbia. Equipped with just 10 items and a camera kit, each participant must survive in total isolation with the hopes of lasting the longest and winning $500,000 prize. Not only must they endure hunger, loneliness, and the elements, but this season they also are forced uh, have to face the deadliest predator in North America, the grizzly bear. No camera crews, no gimmicks. It's just the ultimate test of human will. And that is literally what this entire series is. They give you 10 items in a backpack. They drop you off by helicopter. Usually it was on an island out in, um, uh, in Canada. Um, but now they're doing inland around large lakes. But you have like a, a radius that you can explore. It's usually around five to eight miles. And it's your, the randomness of the location you happen to be dropped in. Whether or not it's a windy place or it's not a windy place, whether you have resources to make, uh, you know, make do and survive, or whether you don't, what type of predators are in your area or not, is totally up to the can random chaos of chance, and it's just you and the wilderness, and that's it. You see people tap out because of personal accidents. You see them tap out because of um, hunger, starvation. Sometimes the crew has to pull them out because they're pushing themselves too far and their body is deteriorating too much. This is the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate reality show of just seeing what happens to ancient human beings in an environment. Can we survive or not? It is so fascinating for me I, I cannot tell you, as someone who just loves the outdoors as a sort of weekend warrior, I like to go camping, I like to go hiking, I like to go fishing and stuff. I could never do what these people are doing. I would never pretend that I could. They are next level survivalists. And that's why it's so fascinating because not only are you witnessing the human condition, because we're getting to see them at their lowest, most difficult, painful moments and how their human spirit endures. It's amazing. And I got to say, when you get that last series um, reveal of whoever won and their family member comes in, waterworks, pure waterworks with them and me. Because I went along the journey. I experienced what they experienced vicariously, albeit, you know, from the security of my home with a drink and <laughs> the luxuries of life. But you, you can't help but fall for these humans because they're just... There's something about having nothing and making something out of it and struggling and fighting and seeing our species endure the worst possible cases of existence and seeing, in some cases, them thrive. It is amazing. So I highly recommend, if you appreciate ancient cultures, which I'm obsessed with, if you appreciate just the human animal and what it means in the human experience. If you just like reality shows, you got to check out alone. If you haven't already, it's fascinating.
and I absolutely recommend it 100%. That's really all I had to talk about with this. We just finished why we were binging uh, the seventh season. And the seventh season was different because rather than just lasting the longest, which could take a month or three months or nine months, you know, however people long people can last, um, this was you have to last 90 days in the Arctic. And if you do, you get a million dollars. So the seventh season is different than the other ones because of that. But it's fascinating because no one makes it that long. It is so hard to survive in the middle of winter with nothing. <laughs> and if you lose your ferro rod, you can't like start fire with friction in the middle of winter. You're screwed. Like you will die of starvation and uh, exposure. It's amazing, this thing. Ah, I love it so much. So... <laughs> Anyway, that's just me geeking out over this stuff. Uh, have you guys seen it? What do you think about it? If you if you've seen it, what do you think? Do you enjoy it? The temperate coniferous forest is your happy place. Interesting. Is that is that around you, like where you live that you're referencing, Zachary? That's a real thing, though. The he makes a comment. He was being serious. I'm just I want to call it out because some people may see it as like a hippy dippy thing or something. This idea of this life force, life force of the forest, I often reference to the, uh, the heartbeat of the planet. I don't mean literally there's a heart pumping blood, but, but we are on a rock hurling through space and there is life wrapping around and encased inside of this rock as it hurls. And different life forms communicate with each other and support each other. Fungus will support tree systems when it needs nutrients. Massive tree systems are an, an organism into themselves and they communicate with everything else, sending life energy and food and knowledge. It's amazing. Once we start actually studying our planet and the life on it, including vegetation, because yes, all of you vegans out there, you're killing life. All right. You love to pretend like, oh, no, I don't kill anything. Uh, no, no, no. Plants are alive. How do you think they grow? How do you think they thrive? They're living creatures that you're eating. So you can pretend like you're doing some great thing by just eating plants, but you're fucking fooling yourself and you're stupid. <laughs> Not that I have an opinion on vegans or vegetarians. Hey, just be honest about it, okay? If you're a vegan or vegetarian, just admit that you're still killing. All right? You're not better. You're not healthier for sure. That's been proven. You're just different. And you're killing things differently. Or exclusively, I should say. So maybe instead of vegans, it should be, why do you hate plants so much? Why are you murdering the ecosystems on this planet in order for you to survive, you arrogant human? How dare you? Every time you go to the grocery store you're guarding, it's a genocide for lettuce and kale. <laughs> but my point is, is that this is a living, breathing planet. Everything on it exists and lives. And we may not be able to communicate speaking to the other species that are animal and even plants, but there is this symbiotic relationship with our ecosystems 
we're out of whack as a society with that, uh, but you can escape to any natural environment. Like that's why I love a, a national forest program so much because you can escape to the national forest and you get a sense of connecting with a, a form of nature that human beings have eradicated that used to spread the entire globe. You connect with a life force that we have intentionally removed ourselves from so that we can exist in squares of concrete so that we can turn lights on and and brighten up our day so that we can't actually see the stars of our own solar system well outside of our solar system the the stars and planets in our sky we're doing everything we can to remove ourselves from our natural environment as a species. And if you tap into it, if you escape to it, you can realize that there's a deeper connection to being human than just what we are doing online or in your life or on the road and commuting to and from listening to podcasts. There's something strong that draws you to what it means to be a living entity with every other living entity on this rock hurling through space, a connection. And there's this magnificence to it. There's this natural innate beauty to it that is stunning and it's real. And we just cut ourselves off from it for the most part. It, I, it, 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 it baffles me why we do it, but it's real. So experience it. And if you can't, then watch alone and experience it vicariously through them. All right, I'm an, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, fucking kale. <laughs> uh, I actually don't really care if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. I, I, do your thing. <laughs> or if you only exclusively eat meat. I don't care. Do your thing. I'm going to enjoy it all. All right, everyone. That's all I had for today. Thank you so much for tuning in live. This actually went a little bit longer, but who cares? I had fun, even though I'm sweating like a dog right now. Are you guys... Uh, enjoying this <laughs> have a fantastic week everyone until next week hail satan